Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Drivers, start your engines! Hit the pace car! What for? Because you hit every other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect! When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. It's him. He talks to me. He didn't slam you, he didn't bump you, he didn't nudge you, he rubbed you, and rubbing son is racing. Hey race fans, welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network, welcome to Drafting the Circus, my name is Frank Santoroski, I'll be your host for the next hour or more as we digest everything racing from the past week. Before we get into that, let me introduce you to the panel I have assembled tonight, with me Mr. Richard Uden from Richard Childress Racing. Richard, how I'm are you? I'm very good, thank you, hope everybody else is uh, doing well. Excellent. IndyCar.com writer Joey Barnes is in the house, um, fresh off a weekend at Sonoma where we had a season editor. Joey, welcome to the show. How are you? Doing good. Nothing clever to say at the moment. I was trying. Uh, I, I'm sure you'll come up with something later as the show goes on. And Seth Eggert, NASCAR correspondent over there at Motorsports Tribune. How are you? I'm doing good. All right. So big weekend of racing. All three series are... Uh, uh, we're active. Uh, first race of the chase for the NASCAR guys. Last race of the season for the IndyCar guys. And um, but it, but we need to start off on a, a bit of a sad note. Uh, Ted Christopher, um, Connecticut-born, New England-based uh, modified driver, lost his life in a plane crash. Um, and uh, you know we're we're you know conditioned to uh, lose some of our racing heroes uh, on the track here and there. But, uh, you know, aviation accidents have taken uh, many of our heroes as well. You know, I think of uh, uh, Graham Hill, Carlos Pace, uh, Davey Allison, Alan Kowicki, um, and Ted Christopher, the latest uh, here. Now, Seth, um, you grew up in the Northeast. You grew up watching Ted Christopher on uh, some of these short tracks and modified cars and midgets and whatnot. So uh, you've got some thoughts? Uh, I do. Uh, I grew up watching him a little bit at Flemington before it shut down and was torn down. More so at Walt Township Stadium, uh, Nazareth Speedway before it closed. I got to see his last uh, NASCAR, what's now Xfinity, then Bush Series start at Nazareth. He ran just about everything. He ran a handful of cup races, ran about 20 Xfinity races. Uh, about uh, He ran two Truck Series races. He won two Canaan Pro East races, what was back then Bush North. Um, he ran, if it had a motor, he raced it. Uh, he was known as the, he was compared to the Intimidator, 
Dale Sr., uh, he was known for the three-tap rule that he had. Uh, first tap would let his competitors know that he was there. The second tap was his intent, A, to pass, and B, to make them choose a lane. And if that didn't work, he would tap them once more, chrome horn, either sending them spinning or up the track. Uh, he is NASCAR's oldest champion, if not one of the oldest, at 50 years old. Um, I mean, yeah, that, that, that's, that's where he won the <laughs> modified championship in 08? In 2008, yeah. Right, right, yeah. But, um, sorry, I was looking at the chat that uh, we have going in the background. But, uh, specifically, what I remember of him is the 2003 modified race at Wall Stadium. Him, uh, John Blue the third, and I forget who the third driver was. I want to say it might have been Keith Rocco. They were putting on one hell of a show. Uh, the three of them were trading the lead back and forth. Uh, it was the first time the Modifieds ever came. And when I say the Modifieds, I mean the NASCAR Whalen uh, Tour. And it was an awesome race. I mean, it was one of my first memories uh that I can think of, of Ted Christopher. Uh, he just wheeled the car around that third-mile track, high-banked. Uh, John Blue III also uh, was a local driver there. He passed away in, I think, 2007 or 2008 uh, in a crash as well. Um, it, it's just tough losing a driver you grew up watching especially one that you had a chance to meet when you were younger. Um, the One of the more legendary ride, uh, drives he had was actually this year. At New Hampshire, he was involved in an early crash. He broke his hand. I forget which one, so I apologize for that. But he broke his hand, continued to race, came from the back with a broken hand to finish seventh, and then... His hand still in the cast went on to win not only in the tour, but also in local races and other uh, modified series over the next several weeks. One handed, essentially. You know, that's uh that's true, you know, racing grit. You know, we've seen uh, we've seen guys race injured, but uh you talk about a guy like Ted Christopher who was you know racing every week. Uh, in, in the middle of the week and as often as he can. Um, you know, our, our here at Drafting the Circuits, our thoughts and our prayers are with uh, Ted's friends, family, um, you know, folks he worked with, um, 59 years old, had a great career, but much too young to die. You know, quite sad, and um, the racing world will miss him. It, <clears throat> that and, they will, and uh, I wrote a feature for our Remembering a Champion a series that we have uh, on Ted. Uh, if anyone wants to check it out, please do. Yeah, you'll find that on motorsportstribune.com um, or, you know, find it on our Facebook page. Uh, there's a link to it on the Drafting the Circus face, Facebook page, too. So, uh, Seth, thank you for your thoughts on Ted Christopher. You know, again, that guy will be sorely missed. You know, there's uh, a lot of these grassroots guys that uh, just become legends on a smaller scale. Um but you can't uh, discount the amount of talent uh, that those guys have. So, um, with that being said, let's move on to IndyCar. Uh, Joey, you spent the weekend at Sonoma. 
for the uh, IndyCar season ender. We had, uh, you know, um, it's all said and done. Our season is over. I hate the fact that the IndyCar season ends so early, but uh, we crowned a champion, Mr. Joseph Newgarden, uh, with Roger Penske. That's Penske's uh, third championship in the last couple of years with Power and 14, Pagano last year, uh, Joseph this year. But, um, I, you know, before we get talking about Joseph, I really want to get into this fantastic drive uh, at a Simon Pagano. Took a four-stop strategy that probably could have used a yellow to make it a little easier. There was no yellow, and Simon made this thing work. Man, that dude drove the wheels off the car. What do you think, Joey? Yeah, if there's an award for ballsiest drive of the year, I, I think it definitely goes to Simon Pagano. I mean, four-stop strategy when everybody else was doing a conventional two. This guy started... I think fourth, third, I'm sorry, third um, on the grid. So not exactly ideal for Sonoma, which is a very technically driven track, difficult to pass, and, and this arrow kit is notoriously difficult to, ma- to make passing happen. So you put all those factors together to go on a four-stop strategy against Tim Sindrick, who is the race strategist over there for New Garden, the pole sitter for that race, the points leader going into the race, um, you know, he needed New Garden, Pagano did, to finish fourth uh, to capture this championship. And defending champion coming in drove by far and away the most intense, one of the most impressive drives of the season, if not the most. Um, at lap 65, those two came to a head. New Garden's three-stop strategy with Pagano's four-stop strategy. The three-stop needed some fuel conservation, couldn't touch that push to pass quite as much. And then you look at Simon Pagano, who's just on it. I mean, he had obliterated 100 seconds of his, you know, halfway through the race. And at lap 65, Pagano came out on the primary blacks, not as grippier as the notorious, not, not, not as notoriously grippier as the Reds, uh, right in front of Newgarden, held him off. Newgarden tried to dive move in turn seven, didn't pay off. And uh, Pagano went on to, to get the win. Uh, it was one of the most grittiest drives that you could ever hope for, and it makes you wonder. And even, and even Pagano kind of alluded this going into the race weekend is that he planned on kind of locking himself in in full attack mode this weekend. And it makes me wonder because this is the kind of thing that we saw on display all year last year. I know certain factors, even though the tires are still red and black compound, as as Firestone calls it, there's still a unique distinction of of alterations that happen over the off season. We had a new brake system come into play where the pads were different from the rotors. Uh, next year, hopefully they're more unified uh, to kind of keep it more <laughs> simplistic and more balanced. But when you when you add up those factors, you kind of wonder, even though, as you know, had 13 top five finishes this year, which is the most by any IndyCar driver, uh, he wasn't the guy that could get podiums or wins on a routine basis. And you wonder if maybe if he drove with this kind of intensity the entire year, would we have seen something different? And, you know, before I toss it back to you, Frank, one thing I'll note, they asked him in the post-race presser if he kind of goes back to Gateway is the, the pivotal moment. And he was quick to say no. Uh, he, he mentioned places like Texas where he just kind of followed Will Power at a place like that, being a team player instead of being somebody that was going to go for the win. But if he finishes first at, at Gateway and New Garden finishes second, there's a 25-point swing there. And he only lost by 13 points. So you got to wonder how close we really were to seeing a back-to-back champion uh, after Sunday. 
Well, definitely. You know, Simon did everything in his power that he could. The only thing out of his control was he needed New Garden to have a mediocre race or, or run into some trouble. Uh, that didn't happen. Uh, Joseph took the crown. But, uh, uh, you know, you talk about a guy that, uh, you know, when the pressure's on to give it his A game, I mean, you know, this, uh, this, this performance out of Simon – it was absolutely spectacular. And the the thing that kind of uh, pisses me off is that, uh, you know, folks, uh, the IndyCar faithful fans like to call this place Snornoma, uh, say the race was boring. I, I, I felt the race was anything but boring. But if you don't understand the nuances of road racing, you're going to find it a little boring. You know, there, there's there's not a lot of passing at Sonoma. That's true. Um, does the season need... Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Need to end on an oval, perhaps. You know, I've heard folks say, hey, people always want to say, oh, we need to go back to Fontana, we need to go back to Fontana, but the fans aren't there. They said, we need to go back to Michigan. I don't know if that's going to happen. I don't know that uh, the weather in Michigan is uh, in September or October is good for a finale. Um, and the other one I've heard mentioned is Gateway. Uh, Gateway put on, a, put on a great show. Perhaps we should end a Gateway. And then, then the other one I just heard earlier today was, Maybe we should end at Pocono. And I, I thought about that. I said, that makes a lot of sense, man. You know, Pocono was one of the best races of, uh, of the season. Um, all kind of stuff going on at Pocono. It's a very unique track. And if you look at Pocono's schedule right now, they've got two cup races and IndyCar race that fall within a little time frame that is less than eight weeks. Um, you know, for the working man with uh, with wife and kids and this and that, can you afford to go to three races within eight weeks? Probably not for most people. But if you if you push that IndyCar date at Pocono to September, um, maybe that'll boost the attendance there. So, uh, you know, that's that being said, I I enjoyed this Noma race. There were a lot of IndyCar fans that were underwhelmed with it, but at the same time. I do enjoy the nuances of road racing. Joey, you do as well. Um, you know exactly what was going on. But uh, let's talk about Elio Castroneves and his bid for the championship. And it seems like every time Elio goes off strategy, it doesn't work for him. Now, recall 365 days ago, uh, Elio tried the same strategy that Simon did at Sonoma. And it didn't work. It, it failed miserably. Um, Elio tried to start off on the Reds, and that's, that strategy pretty much 
was down to the fact that he needed to grab the lead early on, and he failed to do that, and then he was a non-factor the rest of the race. Elio seems to be on the short end of the stick with strategy calls more than anybody in IndyCar. Um, and, and here's a guy who's contended for the championship nine or ten times over the course of his career, and you know whether strategy or, or just whatever or a superior driver in thing, he's never been able to close the deal. <coughs> This may be the last race for Elio. He was uh, he was out at Sebring te- testing the Acura. Uh, we don't know if uh, that's uh, going to happen or not. You know, he may be back in IndyCar. He may not. But uh, Joy, what are your thoughts on um, you know Roger calling the strategy for Elio and uh, how it never seems to work for him? Well, I guess I, I kind of want to revert back to your previous thing and then kind of get into this is. Uh, uh, oh, for yeah. those that don't feel, yeah, I know I said a lot. Feel free to jump in one at a time. Um, for for those that don't think Sonoma was as competitive as say Watkins Glen, which showed a lot of passing, there was actually close within a, a I believe it was ten position difference. There was actually almost as much passing as Sonoma as there was at Watkins Glen as far as total passes made on track. Um, that said, that was also a Watkins Glen which featured some people on a diverse wet setup versus a dry setup because they didn't know what the weather was going to be. If we don't have that and everybody's kind of on the same setup, then it is kind of a, a strung out, uh, you know, fall. I don't want to say a fall the leader kind of situation, but it becomes highly difficult to pass, in which case we don't have the kind of race that we had two weeks ago at Watkins Glen. That said, I don't want to make any assumptions about who should host the season finale too much. I will say that I don't know if I believe Pocono is the right spot only because I look at the market, number one, uh, and then number two, I look at the fact of the time of year that we're going to be going up in the mountains. Uh, I don't think you know mid to late September in the mountains is probably the best idea just because sometimes we get these weird turn of events and weather. Uh, I've I would personally like to see the season end in October, early October. That said, I don't write the schedule. Um, but Sonoma's close to San Francisco, notoriously good market. Who knows if the 2018 car, which is supposed to have more downforce in terms of what's on, on top of the car versus underneath in a ground effect sort of way, can help promote a different dynamic sort of racing that we haven't seen at Sonoma before. So I'm going to hold off on suggesting that we need to wipe Sonoma off the table because, for all we know, next year's car could put together the most intense, greatest form of racing we've seen at road and street courses combined. That said, I love oval racing. I know a lot of people love oval racing. The most marketable track on the entire IndyCar calendar outside of the Indianapolis 500 is Texas Motor Speedway. Before... Some of you that listen to the show know that I grow up near Texas Motor Speedway, but before you think I'm just a homer, it's the fourth largest market sports-wise in the United States, period, which makes it actually bigger than Indy in that regard in terms of sports market. Indianapolis is somewhere in, I believe, the the 20s. Uh, That said, if you really want to go somewhere like that, hell, I'm all for a Saturday night show here. But, um, you know, all things being considered – I want to see a few more different tracks. I'd love to see 20 races, and I would love to see the overall landscape grow across the board and get new markets on board. I, I think that we're 
There's stuff we'll get into later with some stuff that even Roger Penske said. But we're on the cusp of something really special here in IndyCar, and I think that we're only starting to scratch the surface of what this can be. So to save this for a later time, I'll say that um, we're where we need to be. We're going to continue to ascend. I'm not all for Pocono, and I'm not ready to shut the door on Sonoma just yet. So um, moving on to Elio and what Frank's point was, um, it does seem to be notorious that Elio in the late seasons seems to have some sort of issue, whether being outplayed by strategy or seem, seeming to just be outran. For whatever reason, call it a collapse, because some people are going to call it that. I, I know the talent level of these drivers is so incremental that I, I can't sit there and tell you that Will Power is yards, miles better than Elio in talent. I can't period. Uh, but that said, I think there's something to be valued in the level of tracks, that we, the number of tracks that we go to that help Elio. Uh, you know, his level of understanding those tracks, his level to raise his overall game. And then look at the ones we end on. I mean, Houston back in the day wasn't really that great historically for him. He's only got one win at Sonoma. And the Arrowkid era has been the most challenging to him, uh, the manufacturer era, Kidira, uh, since it debuted. And I think it was 2013, 20, 2014, something like that. Um, 2014. Um, ever since we've had that, um, it's been incredibly difficult for him to not just get, you know, to, to just get wins. So I can't sit here and tell you that, uh, he's, the guy that always falters in these situations, he's a choke artist like everybody wants to, some people want to claim, I don't buy that at all. Um, I think that he's, when you look at Sonoma, it plays to the strengths of the more technically sound drivers. And Elio, as smooth as he is behind the wheel, he is incredibly aggressive um, in com combination with that. And it doesn't quite suit to the liking of a Sonoma. And also think about this, and talking to Marco Andretti earlier this week, he even said that he thinks the 2018 car will suit him. And before you, everybody states that, oh, it's Marco Andretti, and he's only got two wins, and this and that and the other. He was a championship contender five years ago, you know, and he had started to find his way. I personally am not ready to bail out on him just yet because some of the things that he said had to do with the fact that you can't really find the limit with the arrow kit the manufacturer arrow kit that we've instilled. Penske is in a whole class of their own altogether. And when you look at this new arrow kit and what it can do, and it puts more of the stuff back into the driver's hands, I think that plays to the strengths of guys like Marco, guys like Elio. Obviously, guys like Dixon and Will Power are going to be there because they're just that talented all around, and they just know what it takes to win. So they figure it out. Uh, but as far as... This being a situation where Elio is in a state of collapse, I don't buy it. I hope this is the last we see of Elio. Uh, I really don't because I think he would thrive in the 2018 car. Uh, I, th I, think, his... I think he would too, honestly. Um, you know, Elio's future is in flux. You know, the, and, and the funny thing is it may be uh, Andretti's um, decision to stick with Honda that saves Elio a seat because uh, Chevrolet wants to keep their car 
count up. And uh, by some reports, Chevrolet is pushing Penske to make sure that they run a four-car team next year. I don't know if they're throwing money at that. Uh, I would imagine that they are. Um, but, uh, you know, to see El- Elio kind of walk off into the sunset uh, and, and run the Acura in the, the sports car program, it, it, it would be um, – he'll probably excel there, probably do well. But I, I just want another, you know, couple seasons of watching Elio in IndyCar. I, I really do. I'll, I'll play devil's advocate with you real quick. Um, at number one, Elio Castroneves is one of those guys who – there's not a lot of drivers that, can, that you can ever say this – but there are some drivers that deserve to leave on their own accord. And I personally believe that Elio is one of those drivers that deserves to leave when he's ready to leave. Because what he's done for this sport, let's be honest, everybody wants to point to the split as when this sport was hurting. They want to point to the fact that we've never gotten back to the level that we have. I didn't cover the sport then, so I can't speak to those things. But the thing I can say is, is that if all those things that I've heard for numerous years are valid and are true, he has put the sport on his back for almost the entire length of his career. And three Indy 500s, I understand no championships. A stalwart at Roger Penske. He's now the winningest driver in the history of Penske Racing, Team Penske, whatever they want to call themselves now. And I think if you put all those things together – for what he's done and the fact that he is more competitive now than he has maybe ever been in his career, it warrants his ability to go on his own terms. That also said, Chevrolet won the manufacturer's title this year with only 40% of the drivers on the grid actually Chevrolet drivers. Granted, a good percentage of those were Penske and it doesn't matter what classification Penske's under, they're going to win because it's Penske and what they demand out of their engineers, their drivers, is the absolute best. Not to say that anybody else doesn't, but they find ways to just maximize what they have. It's unreal, it's ridiculous, and it leaves a lot of us in the paddock scratching our heads on how they continue to do that. Um, I don't think that you can go into a situation where Honda's got 13, 14 motors next year 13, 14 teams, maybe even 15. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino style games to choose from, you too could win life changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Although 15 is a reach, that was also I mean, 13 is is they're already maxed out at Honda at 13. They go above and beyond already at 13 teams. 11 is kind of the happy number. Any more than that, and you're really starting to stretch through the team thin, and that's maybe where we get some of these engine failures that have happened. Um, 
but talking to Jim Campbell or listening to Jim Campbell this past weekend after the manufacturer's title, you know, talk about 40% of the grid and this and that and the other. Are you really ready to let Elio go if you're Chevrolet or if you're Penske? And it's not just for the fact that he's, you know, who he is and what he's accomplished. But if you're Chevrolet, you're letting him go to Honda Acura. Acura is a Honda brand, even in sports car racing. The other end of that is, so he becomes, in essence, kind of a Honda factory driver to a degree. Do you think Honda is going to let him go and be the biggest bullet in the chamber for Chevrolet against them at the Indianapolis 500 for the month of May in a one-off? Hell no. It makes no sense. This isn't a situation like having Kurt Busch come over from NASCAR, who's inexperienced in an Indy car, who the best ride he could get is there. And I know Chevrolet can say that they did it for the overall health of motorsport, and I'm very grateful to them that they did. But I think when you look at this situation, I know Penske's got a lot of pull and can manage a lot of things, but at some point, Honda says, you know, that guy, Mr. Elio Cascianeves, he's a guy that could technically beat us. And it may be a different division, but it's still under the same umbrella, and I can't think that they would let a situation like that happen. And so I think that could be the overall telltale sign is whether we see Elio back next year. That said, this is just an opinion. I haven't heard those things. But just from taking a step back and looking at the overall picture, that's what makes sense to me. Man, that makes a lot of sense, Joey. I'll tell you that. So uh, let's move on. Let's talk about our new champion, Joseph Newgarden. This kid, uh, you know, first year in Penske. Uh, I said early on this year he would he would lose a close one and come back next year stronger. He did not. He did not lose a close one. It was a close one, but he won it. Didn't lose it. Uh, uh, this kid. You know, very few mistakes all year long. You know, uh, other than Watkins Glen, but uh, this is this is the guy that IndyCar needs to go ahead and and stamp their name on. Make this guy the poster car for for IndyCar. Um, he's a young American. He's uh, very charismatic. He's he's from the American South. Um, he's um, he's brilliant in interviews. Um, and he's solid behind the wheel. Um, I, I was uh, talking to Tim Cedric the other day, and he's, had, uh, you know, it's like when they when they saw Joe uh, win that race at uh, Iowa last year with the broken hand, that uh, was when they said, "Yeah, maybe we need to get a get a closer look at this kid here." So, uh, Joey, what are your thoughts on Newgarden and his his uh, winning the title? He was so patient during the race, right? He really wanted to get around Simon and get that win. But uh, he's got the um, the brilliance of Tim Sindrick in his ear saying, don't worry about Simon. Run your race. Don't worry about Simon. Run your race. Stay where you're at. You're good. And and brought the thing home. It makes you wonder if he would be where he is without Tim Sindrick to some degree uh, this year. But uh, I found it funny. Joseph Newgarden makes his 100 start this weekend and captures the championship. And it's actually the same weekend, um, you know, with Sindrick being, uh, as an organization, it's Penske's 100th win uh, since Sindrick was kind of there. So that's kind of a cool deal. They've got like 197 wins over their lifetime since the 70s or whichever. And you look at uh, Sindrick coming in, and um, they've got 100 under him. So that says something about what they've done since he I mean, he took over as president, what, 06, something like that? So um, um, that's it. No, it was earlier than that. As president, he was with the organization before that, but I think as president it was 06. 
Um, either way, since since he's been there, that's a ridiculous stat. Um, but talking about Joe New here, um, I was kind of with you, Frank. I kind of pegged him to lose one before he could win one. Shame on us um, because he certainly proved that he's got the championship medal. And I've been a big believer in seeing him and Rossi grow this year. I've been saying for a while that I think that people like to compare drivers of today to eras of yesteryear. If we're going to do that, not that it's necessarily the best thing in the world to do, but if, if you want to cater to those things, this is the new generation Rick Mears, Danny Sullivan kind of situation. I, I look at what we have with the Americans we have in place, and I love the fact that, you know, of course – we, we've we've been waiting on the next American hopeful, and we can point to other drivers that are in the paddock and say, well, why aren't they, you know? But the fact of the matter is, is, beyond looking at them, let's look at what we have. And what we have right now is an American champion, the first in five years, but potentially one that's a mainstay for the next 15 years in this sport. Uh, you know, Connor Daly actually said some comments and it was an article on racer today that says that he should have F1 teams looking at him. And I 100% agree. There's no reason why that's the case. They'll frown upon it because he's 27 years old. Shame on you F1, just because he's 27. We used to not start F1 drivers until they were 27, but that's neither here nor there. The fact of the matter is, is that this kid, Joseph Newgarden has hands down gone up the process the right way won the championship in Indy Lights in 2011, paid his dues at Sarah Fisher, who gambled on him, along with Wink Hartman, back in the day to bring him along. 23rd in points, 14th in points, made a couple of cool passes every now and again, but the equipment was not up to snuff, but he made the absolute most of what his opportunities presented, got a chance to show what he could do when Ed Carpenter kind of joined that partnership with Fisher to form Fisher-Hartman, Carpenter-Fisher-Hartman Racing, or whatever crazy way combination that came together and um you know won two races that year fisher and them had to close down their portions because hartman being in the oil business we saw the gas prices dramatically drop that affected him and what he could do to finance the team so we saw new garden kind of disband not not even disband but that part of the team dissolve and he just kind of go into the carpenter racing situation for 2016 breaks his collarbone messes up his wrist all banged up comes back less than a month later and dominates in iowa the grittiest drive that you could say ever happened that season let alone almost any season and that was really kind of what paved the way for his role at penske and he's the first driver at penske to actually win the championship in his first year with the organization since sam hornish in 06 when you look at this combination and what – and I know IndyCar is going to market the hell out of him, A, because he's marketable. He's a good-looking kid with a million-dollar smile, and he runs well. And, you know, sometimes you can look the part, but you don't run the part. He's both. And I think we're on the cusp of seeing Rossi do the exact same. And even if we do have question marks with 2018 and the Universal Era kit and how it's going to unify the paddock somewhat and the best of the best are going to win and – it's going to stop Penske from dominating so much. Well, I got news for you, kids. Penske's still going to find a way to win. Whether that's a lot of races or a few races, they're still going to win. They've still got, to our knowledge at this point in time, four cars on the grid. 
that makes up a pretty good amount of what the grid has of the 21 to 24 cars, possibly 26 that could make up the grid next year. All things being equal, he's going to be around a long time. He's smart. He gets it. He's an IndyCar racer. He's a hell. He's a racer at heart. So I think when you look at IndyCar and Roger Penske talking about what we were referring to earlier, he's talked about the attendance growing. There's a lot of Fortune 500 companies on the side of these cars now. He's gotten more calls from companies talking to him about potential sponsorship than he's ever had before. There was some tweet that Graham Rahal put out yesterday when he heard about Farmers Insurance putting like two races for $660,000 on the five car. He's like, well, hell, that that right there is like a full season in IndyCar. <laughs> yeah, I saw that one. That was, that was kind of entertaining. Yeah, and there's validity to that. And you know what's funny is is that you've probably got a better chance to win an IndyCar than you think when you really think about it. I mean, I know we're all on Derek Cope's ass for – scrubbing the wall at richmond or whatever but let's be honest that's the most facetime premium motorsports has had all season so you know when you look at that in the grand scheme of things and oh the, oh my gosh they got tv time and indycar everybody gets tv time because there's always action on the track and joseph newgarden is the clear evidence of what they do in indycar racing he is the epitome of what this series is all about he's the epitome of the mazda road to indy um, being a champion from the Mazda Road to Indy and Indy Lights, coming up through the ranks, paying his dues, and winning this championship, I can't think of a better situation. There was a lot of different factors that would have been favorable this weekend. Elio winning, Power getting a second the first year of his newborn son, Dixon getting his fifth, you know, Pagino going back-to-back, the first back-to-back champion we had since Dario Franchitti won three straight back in, like, what is it, 09, 10 and 10 whatever, 10 and 11. 9, 9 10, um, 11, yep, yep, you there got you it. Go. Um, fumble with the O there. Um, and, you know, hell, the longest of shots Alex Rossi was still mathematically eligible once the green flag waved. It would have taken a miracle, but we want to talk about the Danny Sullivan-Rick Mears effect. He was right there in the thick of it still against Joe New and the entire Penske entourage. So in the end, when you look at the health of the sport and where we're going, there's probably not a better ambassador for this season than Joe New. Would I have said that if it was Elio? Would I have said that if it was Will or Scott? Absolutely, probably. But the fact of the matter is, is that any one of these guys is the proper champion for this series because it's proper racing. It's the most authentic racing series that you're going to get, that you're going to find in the world. It's wheel-to-wheel, and it takes talent to be two inches off of somebody's wheel and not hit them. And, um, you know, for what we're establishing over here in IndyCar land, I think he's certainly the guy to, to do good things. Absolutely. I mean, Joseph Newgarden, if you look at how, how quick he is to get on social media and to connect with fans... You know, just connect and, and connect with fans in the pit lane in the paddock, you know. And th- this is the guy who will uh, put on a costume, you know, with a fake nose and some glasses uh, uh, during the media day to uh, act like he's somebody else. This is, the, this is the guy who made YouTube videos when he was first starting out, and he would uh, hop up in the stands and, and talk to the fans there. Hey, you know the drivers here? Have you ever, ever heard of this guy, Joseph Newgarden? Yeah, um, you know, and it's just he's he's a he's he's very charismatic. He's very fun loving, 
but man, he's a beast behind the wheel. I, um, I want to make one point here. Go right ahead, my man. Joseph Newgarden came in and was one of the most genuine human beings. You can go up to him, whether you were a... F- With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Fan or a media member, and it didn't matter how busy he was, or how busy he is still to this day, he's taking time out to give you that autograph. He's taking time out to give you that quote, or even sometimes just to ask you how your day is going. The most genuine human being, perhaps given the superstardom that he's achieved, he hasn't changed. From day one that I've known him, he hasn't changed. And I think that that speaks volumes. You know, he doesn't he doesn't. He's not surrounded by 20 million PR people. He isn't telling somebody, you know, to screw off. I don't have time for you. He has time for everybody. He makes time for everybody. And I think that speaks volumes because he is the most genuine kid from Nashville, Tennessee, regardless if he spells his name with an F. He ain't from no Russia. He's from Nashville, Tennessee. It's about as south as it gets. And um, still genuine to this day. So, for all those that think superstardom can get to a young kid's head at 26, 27 years old, I'm going to tell you right now you're wrong. Uh, he, he's still just the same kid that I met just a few years ago. Yes, and he's, and he's been very gracious with his championship, too. You know, he's, he's thanked everybody that he can. Um, and he just, he's just going to be a wonderful ambassador for this sport for years to come. So, with that being said, let's talk about some of the other off-season moves going on. You know, we talked about, uh, you know, Elio was still in flux whether or not he's going to go do the Acura program full-time or if he's going to be in the three-car next year. But, uh, you know, some of the um, other moves are, you know, Takuma Sato uh, had been rumored to be going to Ray Hall Racing. The Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan, that is confirmed. They, they uh, the team released a press statement uh, uh, earlier today. Uh, so, uh, so he's, he's good there to go. Um, Brandon Hartley looks to be the front runner for the second car at um, Chip Ganassi, and Chip Ganassi confirmed they're going down to two cars uh, next year. Um, they've got a lot of folks that are going to be out of work right now. Um, they're going to repurpose some of their folks to uh, their NASCAR team, their IMSA team, um, but there's going to be Literally about forty people laid off from work. And Richard, you work in the you work in the sport here. Um, what's it going to be like for these uh, you know skilled folks uh, working at a championship level team uh, looking for work? I know there's um, you know Yukos Racing is looking to start a team, uh, as is um, the Harding. Uh, so there's going to be a few spots there, but uh, Richard, I mean, you've worked in the sport for a number of years. What's it like for these guys? Just uh, wondering where their next meal is going to come from. Yeah, it's it's very difficult, and I mean, I think it's a good point, good time to raise the point that when you know a lot of people who watch these sports don't realize just how many people are employed at these at these teams, and you know. We're not all, you know, superstars and millionaires, and you know, we have mortgages and family and 
and, and all that sort of stuff. So it is real, and it is a real concern for people, and it does make it difficult. There's, there's certainly no doubt about that. Um, there's two things I was always told about motorsport. The first thing is it's difficult to get a job in motorsport, but once you get a job in motorsport, it's even harder to get out of motorsport because it becomes addictive. Uh, I Straight out of college, I got a job for a Formula 1 team, and then... I sort of took a little bit of a step back and went to work in what I called the real world, and it was a horrible, scary place uh, with profit margins and sales reports, and it scared scared me, so I, I went back to motorsport as quickly as I could. Um, but it is difficult. We are a, a, a rare breed, the people that work in motorsport, and it, it is a different work world environment, and it's great in some cases. You know, you, I work on a long, long-term project, and it's a week. You know, some people can work on five, ten-year projects. I mean, you look at this the satellite that they've uh, just ditched into Saturn, and people have been working on this thing for 30 years. I mean, it's it's a lifetime for some people. It's incredible. Um, but we're – it is very difficult to get out of – to get out of motorsport and transfer those skills. But, and a lot of people will leave motorsport and go to work, as I say, in the real world, and they will struggle. It, it, it's, it's too slow pace. Um, and yeah, it, people forget this at times that, especially when you know, racing series, whether it be NASCAR, IndyCar, Formula One, or whatever, coin the phrase, you know, cost cutting or cost reduction or whatever it means. Basically, the easiest way to reduce costs is to make people unemployed, and it's quite a yeah, um, it's quite a uh, um an aggressive way and unfortunately it doesn't get enough coverage um one of the most famous examples in the motorsport was going back to 2009 when uh, honda pulled out of a uh, formula one and the braun team was was in its sort of stop gap for a year before mercedes bought them out they went to melbourne and as most of you probably know they dominated the race they were gently taking a uh, he could have won that race by a lap two laps if he'd wanted to um, and they went back to Brackley on Monday morning, celebrated with the team, and then let half the staff go. Um, it's it's pretty brutal. Well, absolutely, yeah. And um, I just hope that all these folks that are being let go over at Ganassi find a place to land, you know, and I hope that, uh, you know, Yukos Racing, Harding Racing, and perhaps Harlan all bring teams in. And, um, and these other, you know, Ray Hall is expanding, and uh, even, even perhaps um, there's some little rumblings that, uh, you know, Schmidt Peterson might go to a three car team, could provide some work for all these folks. But, uh, you know, we, we need to remember the human element of uh, yeah of, of the sport, like you say, Richard. And you're right there in the thick of it. So, so with that, and it's, a very, it's a very fickle industry. So, very quickly, just one point. I mean, I've never seen it myself, but there's plenty of stories, especially in the NASCAR garage, of, of people turning up to the track on Friday morning working for one team and leaving the track on Friday evening working for another team. Um, you know, the, the way that uh, the motor racing community is, is if you've been in the industry long enough, there's not many teams that you won't know somebody who works for that team. And, you know, you, if something goes down, you get on the phone as quickly as can. And, and it's not uncommon for people to move around on a, on a pretty short-term basis. Oh, well, again, we wish all those folks at Ganassi well, and uh, that, that's good. That's good to know, Richard. So well, hopefully, everyone will find a good landing spot, and they won't have to go find them a job in the corporate world. So, uh, that being said, let's talk about we had a NASCAR race this weekend. 
um, first race of the chase. Um, and Martin Truex, who's been the pretty much the uh, dominant driver all year long, uh, put his stamp on this chase and uh, uh, took this win rather convincingly after, you know, overcoming a uh, penalty early on. Uh, ran the thing on home. So, uh, Seth or uh, Richard, which, which, which one of you guys wants to uh, jump on him? Uh, I guess I will. Um, yeah, help yourself. <clears throat> uh, Toyota basically dominated the weekend. I mean, it was as simple as that. Kyle Busch dominated the first stage of the race. Uh, you had a few playoff teams make some mistakes. Uh, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. bounced off the wall. You had Kurt Busch speeding on pit road. You had, I want to say, Casey Kane speeding on pit road. You had... Austin Dillon. Well, yeah, Austin Dillon speeding on pit road. And Martin Truex Jr. speeding on pit road. Second stage starts. Kyle Busch pits almost immediately for a loose wheel. And he gets busted for having a pit crew member over the wall too soon. And... That gives the second stage, basically, to Chase Elliott, who was running third the entire time. Uh, we'll get back to him in a little bit. Uh, and then the final stage of the race, without any cautions, Truex not only unlapped himself from his penalty, but drove back up through the field and uh, took the victory. I mean, at one point, there were only 13 cars on the lead lap. Uh, so there there really wasn't much. Chicagoland is known for long green flag runs, and for the most part, that's what we had. Uh, you had Jamie McMurray spin at one point. I want to say he had contact with Kurt Busch, maybe? I, I honestly forget. Uh, but other than that, there really weren't many incidents, if any. Um, uh, Eric Jones had a little pirouette. Oh, yeah. yeah Eric Jones spun, uh, which... There is something I've noticed about Eric Jones. Whenever he spins in practice and in qualifying, he spins in the race. Although this time it was because of a cut tire. Was he in a backup car? Because I know he started at the back, didn't he? Did he have to go to a backup or was that for some other reason? uh, He had to start in the back because they had to change tires after qualifying because he spun. Ah, right. Okay. Remember, they had to start on the the tires they qualify on. So... That was the only, I mean, there really wasn't much to Chicagoland. Uh, going back to Chase Elliott, his second place finish was encumbered. Uh, that was because uh, a aerodynamic modification that the team made that was caught on camera at least twice. Uh, and he lost 15 driver points. Alan Gustafson is suspended for a week. The car chief is suspended for a week. There's a $25,000 fine, I believe. And because it's encumbered, he does not get the one playoff point. And his second place finish will not count in the event of a tie at the end of this round. So compared to other teams, which will have three finishes to utilize... If Chase Elliott is tied with, say, Austin Dillon, for example, since Austin Dillon was tied with Denny Hamlin last year, I'm going to use him as an example. If he and Austin Dillon are tied and Austin's best finish is third, Chase, if his best finish is this encumbered win, will be bumped out of the playoffs. 
So, Seth, let me throw this out here, okay, as just an observer, okay? So we've had these encumbered wins through the season, and these encumbered second places, the third places, that one on. So, and we do know that the NASCAR championship format comes down to one race where we have four guys that are eligible to win the championship, and whoever finishes highest of the four wins the race, Okay. This does not set well with racing purists to believe a season championship should be rewarded to the guys who most consistent or wins the most races over the season. But it comes right out of stick and ball where we, you know, we, where we come down to the Super Bowl and a team that wins that one particular game wins the game, okay? So we get to Homestead. Our four guys are out there, and it turns out that the winner of the race, who also wins the championship, Something sketchy after the uh, inspection, and NASCAR doesn't take away wins, but would they take away a championship um, if we had an encumbered win at Homestead? Or if you're, or if you are NASCAR, do you say, "Well, it's the last race of the season, and we don't inspect the cars after the last race"? Uh, if they were somehow able to inspect the car before all the championship celebration, maybe. But I highly doubt they would take a championship away after all the publicity that they end up having during the celebration. So yeah, I mean, I, I think you're looking at a situation, Frank. Where I mean, let's be let's be honest. NASCAR wants this thing to be mono e mono of the over the top four guys, right? They want the guys that are one through four in the championship fighting for the win on Sunday at Homestead. So, if that car, let's be honest, if this thing it works out that way, nine times out of ten, you're going to have to have a car that's in the gray area, cheated up maybe a little bit, skewed, and those four guys are probably all going to be unified in that same regard so that way they're miles ahead of everybody else because and, and the, we've, it, we've seen that exact same scenario since we started that all the guys up front are the four guys in a chase yeah i mean this except is a, for one year where it was truex and that was when uh they were aligned with rcr they were but okay uh, so uh, since uh, since the since the record under the bus here seth since, <laughs> since this era, okay. since since we've gone to this format, right? The guy that has won the race has also won the championship, correct? Yeah. Yes. So yes. far. Yeah. Right, right. Okay. Harvick so. won the race. So 2015, the, 2015 Kyle Busch won the race. Yep. The, the only exception is the truck series last year when William Byron won the I race. I mean, no, we're, not, we so, we're, not, we're not truck talking series. trucks. We're talking about the cup series, the big I boys. know, I know. Um, I, look, I don't personally, I hate this championship format of all the ones I've talked to other people and they're like, well, if you do your homework, can you look at the playoff points and you see that the playoff points will advance you to the final round of the championship. And, you know, it makes sure that the guy that gets the most playoff points is the guy that's going to fight for it at Homestead, along with the guys that win it, the final three rounds leading into Homestead. I'm sorry. What? Huh? Race fans don't want to do homework to find and, out who the hell the champion's going to be. And if this, it's by playoff points, shouldn't Ryan Truex be in the Truck Series playoffs? I know we're yeah, talking top, but 
Yeah, that's, I mean, that's something we'll yeah. get into in a second. But but at the end of the day, does the average race fan want to do homework to find out who the hell the champion is going to be? No. They just want to watch a race. They want to know who the winner is, and they want to know who's going to be the points leader. And if it's the season ender, who's going to be the champion? Encumbered wins, taking away this and taking away that is too damn complicated, and that's part of the reason NASCAR flat out is losing race fans. You want to know why their attendance at a lot of places sucks outside of Darlington and Daytona and Talladega? You think everybody goes to Talladega and Daytona to just see the awesome close racing? I mean, let's be honest here. Most of the people now that I talk to, I'll go and talk to the average person at a racetrack or just on my daily commute whenever I'm running errands or something. Most of them are like, oh, NASCAR, yeah, I went to that. Oh, man, those crashes were so cool, da-da-da-da. They're not going for the actual appreciation of what, what racing is. And the sad part is that NASCAR has put themselves in a box where they're catering to fans that don't care about the purity of racing. And you want to know why we've got owners who don't buy into the sport anymore and why it's so difficult, why we only see – we've seen the car count go from 43 to 40 till now – we're lucky if we get 36 cars on the racetrack. I mean, the answer is very simple. The charters have put them in a box. And no damn owner in his right mind is going to buy in to this sport. When you go to the Brickyard 400 and there's an hour and a half of red flags because we can't get a restart without completing a lap, and you're tearing up $10 million of equipment on a regular basis every week, who wants to buy into that? Nobody. And that's why owners are looking other places. That's why there's talk of spec motors in the truck series. That's why there's talks of spec bodywork. At the end of the day, spec is great because it puts the, the realism back into the driver's hands and less into the engineers, which is what NASCAR has become as an engineered sport, kind of like Formula One in that regard. But the reality is, is that nobody wants to buy into it because of how much crap they're tearing up. And it's too much money for too many people that want to keep their money. You know, we heard a long time ago, you want to you wanna hold on to your money? Yeah. You want to make money? Yeah. Don't get into racing. And right now, that couldn't be closer to the truth than it is right now in NASCAR. Joy Barnes Rant, sponsored by Joy Barnes yeah. Incorporated. <laughs> Joy, but, man, man, you, you, man you, you just soured some great truth right on uh, Right on us, yeah. So, uh, but um, can I just uh, very quick? I just want to jump in. I just want to uh, ask people's opinions there. Please do. Do, Now we're in this uh, chase playoffs, whatever whatever the marketing uh, gurus decide to call it. Do you think it would help if you had the situation where in the in each round, so at the moment you had the round of sixteen, no matter where you qualify the top 16 start in the top 16 positions. That's interesting. That's and then you have the, the best qualifier isn't in the chase will start 17th, even if they got pole. That's, That's interesting, interesting to say, yeah. But the <laughs> thing is, yeah, they, they, they want to make it a playoff system, but in a real playoff system, the teams that don't make the playoffs go home. Yeah, they go home, yeah. So you, But, but you really can't do that in NASCAR. You really can't no. have... The, the 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 we get to um, Homestead. Oh. And there's four cars on a track. Oh, really I'll tell can't you the truth. That. When I um, before I moved over here and started working it, when I heard about these playoffs, I thought that's what happened. <sighs> Sorry. 
I'm not. I mean, there's some validity to that, though, is there not? Like, that's how confusing the system has become. Yeah. What are fans left? What are not even fans? Like, what are people in general left to believe? How do you how do you entertain new fans or new people? They're like, what am I watching? They don't even know because NASCAR doesn't even know. You know, I still think that you just need to have a decent point system that rewards consistency and wins. Every racing purist will tell you that. We don't need gimmicks at the end of the year. NASCAR came up with the chase um, years ago just to just to compete with NFL football to make NASCAR racing, NASCAR racing a little more interesting and palatable to watch while NFL was on. Um, but now they've come down with this playoff thing and the and the elimination chase, which is, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of fun to watch, but it really, uh, you know, if anybody other than Martin Truex wins this thing, you know, say, say we get all the way to Homestead and say, Richard, I hate to say Careful. it, Ryan, New- Ryan Newman is, um, you know, still in. And you he, say we won't deserve he, it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm saying. So you got a guy like Ryan Newman just pulls pulls one out of his ass on a day, and maybe he even finishes third, right? And some non-chasers oh, yeah. win the race. I mean, you make it sound so, like 2014 so is, all is, over again. Is that a, that's what happens. Is that a legit, you play the game, don't you? Right. Is you, that can't, a, you can is only it, beat your opposition. And if right. that's the rules, you but, play that but, game. Yeah, yeah I mean, may not this... Be a, we look at what Toyota did at Talladega last year when they ran three cars just set at the back half a lap down, just you know running around because they didn't want to get involved in a wreck. Is that encouraging racing? Mm. I look. I mean, I understand what this format's supposed to do, right? It's supposed to make the, sure the drivers and the teams bring it every single week, like playoffs, like stick and ball. Well. What have we learned in stick and ball? Oh, the New England Patriots have been caught videotaping signals from other people, and so, oh, they're cheating, and then we heard some other things, and, oh, the New Orleans Saints are cheating. Shout-out to DeHardy on that one. I'm sure he'll enjoy hearing that one. But, look, you want to compare it to stick and ball sports and make sure that everybody brings it each and every week, but yet you don't want to put yourself into the same – you want to put yourself in that category, but yet you don't want to hold yourself accountable to the same rules in some cases, and I feel like that's what's happened at NASCAR right now. Um Something that I'm going to throw over to Seth here is the truck series situation, which is just, in my mind, blown as far as what's happened here. Because Harrison Rhodes... Uh, ben Rhodes. Finish, yeah, Ben Rhodes. Sorry, I don't know why I said Harrison. Um, ben Rhodes gets the better finish before the, before the playoffs start in the truck series, but he's got one playoff point. Martin Schuch Jr.'s little brother, Ryan, has three points... A little bit less of a finish. Doesn't get into the playoffs. So, Seth, take me through what the hell is going on, why this is the situation. Well, my understanding, the way it was explained to me, was that they were going to go by playoff points as far as seeding. So, based on that, Ryan Truex, who has three, would have been in and not Ben Rhodes. However, come race time... It's Oh, it's not playoff points. It's best finish. Going into Chicagoland, Ben Rhodes' best finish this year was second at Pocono. Ryan Truex was third at Pocono. Seven-tenths of a second. 
determined who was fighting for a championship. So, so even though the playoff structure, let's let's explain this because it's complicated, right? Yeah. The playoff points, the, the, the playoffs start based on the total number of playoff points you accumulate, not your total points as it were entering. Correct. So by that standard... Ryan Truex should be in, yes. So by that thought, you would expect that, oh, we're going to go with the guy that accumulated the most points to make the playoffs, not the guy who had the best finish to enter the playoffs. Who had the most overall points? Just curious. Uh, it was Christopher Bell. No, no, no. no. I mean between oh. Rhodes and, and oh, Truex. Between Rhodes and Truex, most overall playoff points? Or uh, no, no, no. Truex. Most overall points. They were tied in points. They were tied in points. They, uh, the Ryan, Truex, Ryan Truex had three. Ben Rhodes had one for this playoff. Just sounds, this just sounds worse than where you <laughs> dig into it on why Truex isn't in it. And let's be honest. Martin NASCAR. That's why... That's why yeah. they missed a gold mine here. You, you're going to tell me like you get a chance to promote Martin Truex Jr. and Ryan Truex Jr. or Ryan Truex, not Jr. Ryan Truex as guys that can go into this championship playoff format, and you brothers could win the title together. Like you could market the hell out of that, and and, and you don't believe that because like, you go off of. Whatever the hell, like it's the total opposite of the structure you're making the points for anyway. Like what yeah, the it, hell? It would have made what? much more sense had it been based off the playoff points. And may I just say this? Listening to the three of you talking about this structure, this point structure, and the playoffs chase, whatever you want to call it, the current That's structure we have now, which. It's a variation of the one we had in 2014, 15, 16. Do you think that some of this is a little bit of a reaction of what happened at Richmond in 2013? I don't know. I think a lot of it's just kind of a snowball effect of, of Kenseth winning the championship with one win back in, like, 2003. Yeah, that was the impetus for the original chase. But and, I, I don't. And, um, mind, I didn't mind 2014. If I'm being honest with you, I, I didn't mind. Oh, okay. Now you can win, you win you're in. without winning a single race. Yeah, because you could you could still do that. Ryan Newman showed us that you could still go that far, well, right? And and in uh, it, it's definitely going to be possible in the truck series and the Xfinity series only because of the sheer number of but cups. There's no way in hell you can do it in the Cup series. There's I was going to say, it's barely a possibility in the Cup Series. Barely. Martin, Truex, Martin Truex could wreck out the last three race. Well, well, beyond that, entering Chicagoland last, this past weekend, he could have wrecked out almost every race. He had a 60, what is it, 52, 53 total points. There's a maximum of 60 50, points that yeah. can be gained or something like that. A 59 so max. Yeah, so he could wreck out. He's only got to be better than four. He's guaranteed to be better than four because typically somebody has issues. If he's one of those guys that has issues, he's golden until the next round. This is this is the most convoluted system to get fans to follow it that I may have ever seen ever in my life. And it sucks because I actually didn't mind 2014 and well, 2015 and 2016 for that matter because and, you win, you advance. You could finish second and continue to well, advance. Well, here's another thing that uh, – Everyone was missing until either Richmond or Chicagoland. If you finished in the top 10 in points, you got 
bonus points for the playoffs. The, the points leader got 15 points. Second got 10 points. Third got 8 points. And then went down by one from there. Yeah, I mean... So, uh, just I'm going to take Jeremy Clemens in the Xfinity Series as an example. He won at Road America, locked himself in with 5 playoff points. How now, do you people, follow this? How do you follow this overall championship, though, man? Like... <laughs> Honestly. I'm just going based on who wins. Okay. See? And uh, I guess that's and, the easiest way to do it. <laughs> and just going back to Jeremy Clemens real quick. He has five playoff points for winning at Road America. Okay. So he was one of only four Xfinity regulars to win. Half of the uh, those who made the playoffs in the Xfinity series did not have playoff points prior to the bonuses being paid out after Chicagoland. But a lot of this is because of how much influx of NASCAR Cup guys we have. Because there's a minimum number of starts they can reach. And let's be honest, teams nowadays are more superior than they were in the late 90s. You know, the Joe Gibbs of today is more superior than, say, the Joe Gibbs-Tony Stewart combination on the 44 car back in 1996 or 7 or whatever that was. Although I will say this, though. As far as Jeremy Clemens' team is concerned, they jumped from 24th in owner points to 9th in owner points after Chicagoland. Wow! So because uh, because of they're in the owners' cha- uh, playoffs as well, they knocked out uh, one of Chip Ganassi's cars for the playoffs in owner points. Do you do you like this format? Like, is it easier easy from your perspective to follow the sport, or does it make things tougher than they should be? The previous version of this format, it was fine. This one, if it was the way it was originally explained to me, I understood it. It wasn't until about three or four weeks ago that the bonus points for uh, where you finished the regular season was explained to me. And even that, I was like, okay, that's a little harder, but I understand that. It wasn't until the Ryan Truex fiasco, as I'm going to call it, that everything went to hell. Yeah, that's fair. And you know what's disgusting is, and we just talked about that tweet that Graham Ray sent out about $660,000 or whatever is like two races on the cup side, but it's, a full it, season on the... It's one race on the cup one, side. One race on... Oh, that's even one worse. One race. So, one race on the cup side is an entire season in IndyCar land. That That's 17 races in IndyCar right now. And uh, also, I'm sorry, but, like... And wait, just to put this in perspective, <laughs> I'm sorry. But oh, you're good. $660,000, one race on the cup side, a full season in IndyCar, 30 seconds for a commercial for an NFL game. <laughs> with that being said guys i'm gonna cut y'all off because you know what we also had a formula one race this week you don't want to keep ranting no what well, hold on but you you're always the host <laughs> here you don't get a chance to like actually give your opinion i'm curious your opinion on this championship situation like what is i what is, i, 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 already, I already said my opinion it is like it is the the most knuckleheaded thing anybody would have ever thought to to make the, the these championships this confusing to the fans. 
But, I mean, yeah. but as a, from a from a sport, can this can NASCAR continue to thrive or expect to rebound from where they are to thrive under these rules that they put themselves in, under this box that they put themselves in? Well, you know, I don't mind the the knockout playoff format. I, I never have liked the the championship race, but I understand it comes from ticket ball ticket ball sports, and I said this just earlier today on the show. Um, I'm not a fan of it, but but if it works for them, whatever. Uh, but is it working for them? Attendance is down. Ratings are down. Um, social media comments are generally anti-NASCAR. So is it working for them? I would say no. Just be glad you don't work for the, one of the TV shows and you have to, TV channels and you have to sit there Two hours before a race on a, every Saturday or Sunday, and have to explain how it works. Yeah, I mean, I, I look at this. I don't agree with the charters. I think that's actually, and I've said this for a long time, is uh, ever since they've instilled this, I feel like that's part of the reason the sport has found itself hurting quite a bit in terms of trying to gain new ownership. Yeah, congratulations, you you guaranteed the the owners that are in the series a spot. And the I'm sorry. I don't think Roger Penske is going to be hurting for an opportunity for a Cup Series ride and to put anything out there on the grid in the future because he's Roger Penske. I don't think Joe Gibbs is either, and I don't think Rick Hendrick is. You know, if anything, you know, I would argue Rick Hendrick is struggling this year because, frankly, SHR moving to Ford has certainly shown their colors on how much it struggled on the Hendrick camp, but that's another story for another day. You're not going to get – I mean, Tommy Baldwin is is pretty much out of the fray and has been for some time, and a lot of that's because of the charter. Some of these other teams that are involved that want to get involved, they're looking at other pastures. It's hurt the landscape of the sport, and it's going to hurt jobs in the future. We alluded to, to – you know, Richard talked about job security in different situations on an IndyCar side with CGR closing down to two teams – where there's two teams there, there's actually three or four teams looking to buy into IndyCar racing because it costs like a maximum of $10 million during the whole season. $660,000 can pay for a full sponsor in IndyCar uh, for a whole year. It can only pay for one race in NASCAR. And you may not even get on TV unless you wreck the damn thing. Derek Cope showed us that at Richmond. I can't think that this thing is really paying off. And I, I love the knockout aspect of it but you're making it too complicated with the playoff points. Yeah, I think uh, NASCAR is going to be in flux for a little bit till they figure this thing out. I mean, will, will the playoff format change? Maybe. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. But uh, Here you go. Yeah, you have, the la- have the last race. At the last race, every, every five laps, take one car out of the back of the field. I mean, to be fair, they keep changing formats like people change underwear at this point. I mean, what we've we've changed it three times in the last like five years now. It's gone from the old chase format to a playoff format uh, to now the ultimate playoff format. I mean, what, what's next? I mean, honestly, where do we go from here? If if we have to change again, what's the next deal? And you know, all, the other end of that is NASCAR. They make this beautiful trophy, right? This Monster Energy Cup, and, and props to it. It does look beautiful. But you've got the IndyCar layout on for Watkins Glen and Sonoma on there. Um, I, I, yeah. I'm just saying. I, I, did, I did notice and, that, too, yeah. And they're going to have to change it next year to include the road course layout of Charlotte. 
Yeah, like, I'm not trying to be a complete homer here because people that know me know that I'm strictly IndyCar and F1 and I do occasional NASCAR stuff, although I'm sure they don't appreciate this rant, as it were. But the fact of the matter is, is that your own people don't even understand the layout of the track, apparently, that you're putting on a trophy. And what's that say about the sport? I mean, that, that should tell you everything you need to know. And it should. So, with that being said... We had a Formula One race this week in Singapore in the rain where we saw a pretty crazy first lap. And I'm going to throw it to you, Richard, because uh, because Joey's had plenty of time to talk and it got kind of quiet. So, but, uh, Richard, let, let's, uh, let's really, really quick uh, go over Formula One, uh, see where we're at. Um, you know, uh, Vettel's championship hopes took a big beating this weekend in Singapore. So uh, tell me what happened. Well, yeah, I mean, every we, we go there, go to Singapore, and pre-race, everybody's like, damage limitation for Mercedes. This is going to be a Red Bull Ferrari scrap. And, yeah, they scrapped it for scrapped it out for about 500 feet, and uh, three of the cars ended up in the wall. Um, it, was, it was a huge, huge anticlimax um, in, in many, many ways. You have this fantastic street circuit. I mean, qualifying. I don't know if anybody got a chance to watch qualifying, but it was so intense. I mean, I don't think I've seen a qualifying session at any of the road courses, Monaco, Singapore, anywhere like that, where the barriers have been brushed so many times. I mean, Felipe Massa took a wheel off and still managed to get another run in that qualifying session. It was was pretty incredible. Uh, And... You know, you then get to the race, and it's raining. I mean, what more can you ask for? A street circuit, and it's raining, and it's at night time. I mean, this is like the holy trinity of, of what race fans want to see. And then within 20 seconds, it was like, oh, Hamilton's leading. Um, uh, <laughs> not to take anything away from Lewis, he drove a great race in... in um, Surprisingly, in after qualifying, because his yeah. mood was down. And, he, you know, you got to remember that he did channel his inner out in the Senate, as he said in an interview afterwards, which was whatever. Um, and it was, you know, he was like, oh, and he said, oh, can Ricciardo make a move on him? And I don't know if Ricciardo had a problem. I know they were said they were concerned about gearbox, uh, you know, potential gearbox failure in that car. But it was just like, uh, but some of the scrapping behind was great. I mean, you saw Carlos Sainz get up there to, you know, just be in a great position. Um, you know, Nico Hulkenberg, again, you've got to feel sorry for him. I mean, um, equaling uh, Adrian Sutil's uh, record for most Formula 1 starts without um, uh, without who, without a podium. And um, it was such a such a shame to, to lose the main contenders so early in the race. Um, you know, to have Vettel, Raikkonen... Uh, um, yeah, Max Verstappen, and for once to actually call Alonso first time in three or four years a genuine contender for a podium and a race victory. I mean, he, he almost put himself in the bad position by making an, an amazing start there, going around the outside of everybody into turn one, and uh, gets T-burned by uh, flying. Was it? Uh, I can't remember who actually hit him. I think it was Verstappen that actually ended up collecting him, or a combination. Verstappen collapsed everybody. I mean, come on. Yeah, I mean, it was. You think, oh man, and it's so unlucky there because it, it did potentially take away a great race from 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 everybody now. And people have turned around and criticised Hotel for the accident. Uh, it was a racing incident. Um, I think you've got to be careful that you portion too much blame because 
in those circumstances, I think the FIA have to be given a lot of credit. You've seen a lot recently um, wet weather races been started behind safety car and almost neutered uh, to a certain extent. I mean, at the end of the day, Formula One, it's not like NASCAR or to a certain extent IndyCar. You know, the first lap or two of a Formula One race typically is the most exciting part. And when you end up getting a safety car start, you take that away. But to, to for the FIA to to have the, the balls, for want of a better word, to go out there and, and, and put them, um, uh, you know, to, to make these guys start, you know, the race from a standing start was a great decision. Um, hopefully the incident that happened there hasn't, um, you know, changed their opinion of that and in the future they'll go back to these safety car starts. But um, it was a real anticlimax, unfortunately. Uh, after the intensity of qualifying, which was a fantastic session and and the rain and the build-up and the, the excitement and... Uh, and the, I mean, the, the funniest thing I thought out of the whole weekend was the fact that because the incident was reviewed post-race, Verstappen, Vettel, and Raikkonen all had to sit there throughout the whole race, wait to go and see the stewards, like you have to go and see the uh, you know the principal at the end of the day for uh, you know a good telling off. And all the Ferrari engineers sat there on the, I don't know what they were doing, sat on the pit wall, maybe on Facebook or something, I don't know. But um, there can't have been much else for them to do. Um, yeah, no, it was. Um, yeah, it was oh, such an anticlimax. It really was. I, I tell you, what was funny about this race is Singapore always has a – they bet 1,000 when it comes to bringing a safety car out there. Yeah, um, they're, uh, well, they're what, 10 for 10 now, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, 10 for 10. And, you know, obviously that race was kind of cool to me, even though the race start was something that just kind of fizzled a lot of the dynamic storylines heading into it. You know, could Vettel kind of get back – into into points lead, which now Hamilton has a full race points lead advantage um, heading into Malaysia in two weeks. But you know, looking at this, I love the fact that some of the drivers were on inters, some were on full wets. You kind of didn't know. Magnussen was the first one to dive in to take a gamble on the slicks two-thirds of the way through the race. I was surprised yeah. how long that took, actually. I, I thought yeah, some like, would go earlier. Yeah, like the, a lot of people were saying the track just wasn't drying as quickly as you would think, which, you know, would you expect? It's incredibly humid in the fill, in, in Singapore, yeah. so I guess that also adds value to the how much the wetness stays in the concrete. But um, good job by Hamilton, great job by Ricardo. I know Ricardo, you and I talked about it, Richard, was kind of the no-brainer to pick for the win, and I the, obviously the rain was the equalizer in the situation. Yeah, yeah. You know, so often you, you know, you, you turn on a on an F one race on a Sunday morning and you see the rain and you see the cloud. And you're like, yes, excellent. We're going to have an exciting race. It was actually this was one of the times we were like, no, just, just <laughs> let 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 what happens going to happen. Let let Mercedes, you know, run around sort of fifth and sixth and see what Nicky Lauda has to say about that and watch Toto Wolf, you know, break a few more tables or whatever. Um, and you never really got that. And you get this, and um, I must admit, I didn't see any of the post I turned it off as soon as it had finished. Um, I didn't, I dare, I didn't want to see Lewis's smug sort of victory celebrations, you know, as if he deserved it and he was the greatest driver of his career. Um, yeah, because let's be pretty, he, he didn't deserve to win the race. You know, I mean, the, the, the car was, there was no pace in that car. Um, you know, the, there was at least four cars, and you could also maybe potentially under race conditions put Alonso in that bracket as well. Five cars that were faster than them, and they yeah. you know, massively looked into it. And it's like, oh, of all the people to look into a win like that, come on! 
I, I tell you what's so funny about this is that this was like the ultimate storyline of people who were moving on who had found something in this race. Like you look at McLaren Honda. We're going to part our ways. Well, suddenly McLaren Honda's car looked like it could finish on podium there if it if the condition stayed as such and if Alonso had obviously the ridiculous start from I think it was P9 on the grid all the way up or P8 all the way up to fourth battling yeah. alongside um, Raikkonen and Verstappen and them, he would have probably, because he didn't have this nose white there for the lead, he probably would have filtered in behind him and we would have seen how the rest played out. But obviously that car might have blown an engine or shut down two-thirds of the way through. But case in point being is it's funny how McLaren announces a deal with Renault and suddenly Honda has all that fun power you know, for this yeah. particular race. But that also said, Carlos Saints deserves yep. without a doubt in my opinion there, there's two people here that deserve the ultimate shout out one is carlos saints the career best drive of his life equalizing the best effort they've had since sebastian vettel's win in 08 at monza which yep. was also in the ring coincidentally i believe he tied ricardo's best finish in ricardo's time at toro rosso um which is part of the reason ricardo has the right he has and i've been saying this for a long time is that I think it should have been Saints in that seat at Red Bull and not Verstappen. I understand the ceiling's higher because the kid's younger, but sometimes you can't coach somebody who can just take care of equipment and bring a car home and do a solid job. And currently Verstappen has shown with seven retirements and 14 races this year that he's not capable of doing that. He's got as, just as bad a record as Danny Cavat, the man he replaced. And Carlos Saints is moving on to Renault. Um, coincidentally, Renault... Nico Hulkenberg, God, I feel for that guy. I look at Brazil a few years ago, and maybe you remember this. Brazil, Force India, he was leading yep. that race. And because it was Lewis, and, and I'll say it flat out, Lewis Hamilton was the one that was in the lead that he was battling with and maybe collided with a little bit, even though he kind of got, in my opinion, chopped a little by, by Hamilton at the time. And it was him that had to serve the penalty and still ended up finishing like fifth in that race or fourth. He, he has never finished on the podium. It's almost as much of a travesty as Nick Heidfeld never having a Formula One win. It's just uncanny to me. And, and in this situation, he was running in third and had to pit, came back out, was in fourth, was starting to close on, on Valtteri Bottas for third, and then he ends up having that mechanical issue. Uh, I think it was, uh, was it fluid for... Uh... It's an interesting one, because uh, I must admit, I, I don't keep up on the rules as much as I used to, but back in the day, you weren't allowed to add fluid to a car during a race, apart from fuel, and obviously yeah. fuel's changed, and maybe maybe that was part of it. Maybe they were told, eh, you got to park it. I don't know. Uh, we, you know maybe, maybe I'm jumping to conclusions a little bit there, but... Uh... But, it, but it led to his retirement, and it sucks, because he had one of the best drives ever, and for... <laughs> Of all the people who just got replaced next year, for sure, maybe yeah. even next weekend, uh, Jolly and Palmer just had the race of his life. Literally the best race with a P6. Yeah. And it's unbelievable how everybody who just is looking the other way and saying, we're done with you, well, those are the people that showed up this weekend. Well, do you think uh, to a certain extent that was slightly magnified by the fact that you lost four or five leading contenders. I mean, if those guys had been in the race, Palmer would have finished 11th. Would we be talking about that? And I know you can only do what you can do against the teams that are out there, but I think it's maybe a slightly different set of circumstances. I, I don't disagree with that at all. Uh, I'm wondering myself if if 
given the situation and given the way the championship is and given how guarded Ferrari has been with making sure that Vettel maxes out points, I, I point to Hungary when they told Kimi to hold Hamilton off, which was one of the most monstrous defensive efforts I've seen. And then you look at Monaco where they pit him early to give Vettel the free track and they can say what they want, but they gave Vettel the free track <laughs> and made up the time and Kimi comes out and finishes P2. And you look at the situation is if even if Raikkonen gets by the top two guys, because his start was amazing from P3 on the grid, got under Max, and then we saw Vettel try to pinch Max a little bit to lead into turn one, and it was just kind of a combo effect. As you said, a racing incident, it's really hard to put blame on any one driver, although Max is obviously the clear target because he's consistently in first lap incidents. But in this situation, it's not totally his fault. Um, I wonder if they would have let Raikkonen cycle out and keep the lead, or if they would not have just let Vettel go out there and get max points, that, and how much that would have turned maybe the championship tables, because we've seen how they're playing their, their race and how Mercedes plays theirs. Um, you know, Now that we've got, and this is something else, we talked about confirmations this year, and Botas is set for next year. Hamilton's obviously been set for next year. We know the Ferrari lineup's set for next year. The Red Bull lineup looks set for next year, although if they end up with a Honda motor, which they're not supposed to, rumor is Aston I think Martin. It'll be next year. I think it'll be, it'll be Aston Martin branded, I think, is the plan. Yeah. Um, but, I think it'll be Renault for another year, and then I think they will move to Honda. Um, <laughs> I, think they're, I think they're playing that waiting game to see exactly what happens with Honda and, and, and Toro Rosso. And in, in a way, it's like a win-win situation for everybody, this whole deal, and I think Red Bull ironically could be the ones that come out on top that's that's surprising to actually hear because i would have thought especially with the 2021 regs that are supposed to happen and what everybody's kind of setting for that mark but guys like daniel ricardo and guys like max verstappen can't quite wait that long and let's be honest even if he crashes a lot ferrari and mercedes are salivating at the chance to sign max verstappen and yeah, I think he's more. I think he's more of a Ferrari driver than a Mercedes driver. Though. I think Mercedes are a little bit too clinical and clean cut. I think he'd, I think he'd go to Ferrari. And I think he'd do a job there, and I think they could mold something around him and 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 bring him through a little bit better than maybe Mercedes could. Um, not if not if Charles Leclerc gets there first. Well, yeah, I mean that's uh, maybe maybe both of them. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, I, I think if they're smart and. and there's no doubt in my mind, and this is kind of a sore subject that I'm going to try to spin to a positive. There's no doubt in my mind that if Jules Bianchi mm-hmm. would have made it through his season, he'd be a Ferrari driver the next, and we would not even know Kimi Raikkonen would probably not even be in the series anymore, if very, I'm very honest. True. Um, very true. And, Ju- and Jules Bianchi, any, anybody can say what they want about what he did or didn't do in a Marussia, but here's the facts. He tested in a very crappy Ferrari that year against Mercedes at Silverstone. And he outpaced Mercedes by a mile that year. And that was the preferred Mercedes car that was just killing everybody with top two finishes. And he went out there and just laid the, I mean, he just laid the wood to him. So I could only shudder to think what Jules Bianchi could do with this car. Yeah, oh no, there's no doubt. I mean, that is one of the greatest losses that uh, you know in, in in recent living memory, for want of a you know better phrase, you know the, the fact that you never saw um, or we haven't yet seen Robert Cooper in a in a top car and and to lose Jules uh, before he had the ability to 
to really show what he was worth, um, you know, it's pretty pretty difficult, really. Um, mm. You know, motorsport is often made of made up of what ifs and um, you know, sort of the who's the best driver. But definitely, I think what we saw from Jules there in that very short period of time was was, was pretty damn impressive. Um, uh, my main point on this being is that I don't think Ferrari's going to let another guy that they have that's a junior driver or an academy driver stay with a team like a Sauber or a car team as it were for too long before they actually bring them up to the main squad. I think they learned their lesson because Jules has shown the progress obviously and I think that they're going to be very quick to make sure they can get Leclerc, Leclerc in the seat in 2019. Yeah, I think I think you're right. He's going to be at Sauber for uh, next year um, and I know they're on about potentially putting some other of their young drivers in that. They've also with Haas about potentially putting a young driver in there, but um, I did see a comment by Gene Haas saying that you know he's in the arrangement with Ferrari to to you know it's a fifty fifty relationship, not something that's purely going to benefit Ferrari by being able to learn out drivers um, as they see fit, even if it is for a big reduction in the engine bill. Um, but I, I think from what we've seen in GP two or sorry Formula two as it's called F two or whatever they call it now, um, Charles Leclerc he is he is the real deal. Um, very very exciting talent. I know we're running up against the clock here, but just one yeah. last thing I, yeah, I want to... We're, we're getting really up against the clock, <laughs> but <laughs> you give me one more thing, and then I'll, we'll go to a couple of other things. But Joey, you have that thought. All you want, go right. Go to heaven, man. Well, it was a thought I was going to give to Mr. Richard Uden here. Um, if Honda... We've heard countless times Ricardo needs to see more out of Red Bull uh, to keep Ricardo because he warrants a top-level ride because he is absolutely, without a doubt, a championship-caliber driver, as is whether he crashes a lot or not, Max Verstappen. He may be a championship-caliber driver at 23 years old, even though right now he's 19, but he's still that kind of guy. Um, I firmly thought that if they go to Honda, shown us on the McLaren side, because McLaren's chassis we know is solid, um, but how... In your mind, does Red Bull come out on top, as you alluded earlier, if they end up ultimately with a Honda engine, in which case they could be put into a situation like what Fernando Alonso was this year? Um, I, I think it's more of a situation where they have an opportunity and they're putting themselves in a position where, um, you know, as long as they keep that, that core group of engineers together that is building you know some of the most competent chassis out there that um they can i'm sure if it came to it and potentially renegotiate a Renault deal if it turns out that the honda aren't progressing and aren't going to be in a position for 2019 to have a competitive engine or pull out or, or, or put themselves in a situation where that red bull leaked honda isn't the most viable it gives them the opportunity if you like to to renegotiate with other teams um it's pretty obvious that Mercedes aren't going to want to work with them and probably Ferrari aren't going to want to work with them, but it, it gives them two engine suppliers. At the end of the day, if, if Renault um, are still in a position where they want to to um, you know pick a team, um, they can probably renegotiate that. Or as I say, if the Honda deal starts to work out, a Honda at some point will come good. Um, or they can potentially look at what McLaren can also be doing is whole station for a few years and then look to develop their own engine going into 2021 when the new engine regulations are known, which I think will go back to a far similar engine than, than these uh, complex uh, beasts that we have at the moment. Um, and it gives that group a little bit of flexibility, which I think is the key there. 
and it gives them the ability to not only play the driver market but also play the engine manufacturer market. And yeah, if Daniel Ricciardo does move on and Max Verstappen does move on, um, and the, but they can get themselves in a competitive position again, there'll be plenty of people wanting to go to work and drive for an organisation that has the history of that and has the the record of uh, of SAS that they've had recently. That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. So. That's uh, we're we're way up against the clock. We're in a green white checker with a red flag. So uh, before Frank we move, <laughs> like Indy, <laughs> like Indy, yeah. So Did it take uh, an hour and a half to uh, clear this one up as well. Good <laughs> man, yeah. There's there's a lot to there's a lot of debris on the track right now. Thanks to Joey. So, but but before we move on, guys, we've got. Uh, Formula One is off next week, and we'll return at uh, Malaysia uh, in October first. Uh, IndyCar for the last time to Malaysia. Yep, last time to Malaysia. Oh, IndyCar wow. is done for the season until uh, we get to St. Pete in the spring. <laughs> um, but NASCAR is racing at uh, New Hampshire this coming weekend. So, who wants to make a pick for New Hampshire? I'll give it to you first, Richard. Kevin Harvick. All right, Joey. Um, it'll probably be an encumbered win, but, um, <laughs> let's see here. Shit. Uh, any Toyota driver. Any I mean, Toyota the, driver, so I'll give you, Joe, Dan, I'll give you Daniel Suarez. I mean, that's, that, I'm okay with that. I mean, I mean the, second the, time around there. The, I mean, the, the kick and drive. Joe Gibbs. The kick and drive. I'm not, you know, I'm not giving you a bad pick, though. All right, cool. I'll take Daniel Suarez. And, <laughs> all right, so, uh, so, Seth, so Seth, all the Toyota drivers are out now. So Joey picked them all. So who, would you, who do you like? Keselowski. Keselowski, okay. I'll go with, uh, since all the Toyota drivers are out, uh, uh, <laughs> Well, hey, you should have given him Eric Jones. Eric Jones only got about 20 laps in the spring before a tire and a wreck. Right, right. But, 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 Joe, but, Joe, but Joey had all the Toyota drivers. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I don't even know who to pick here. It's you, it's you versus the field. Let's go, me, me versus the field. Just, just for shits and giggles, I'll say... Danica Patrick wins her first NASCAR race on her way out the door from the sport. Uh, because I don't know if you saw her Twitter thing today, but, man, she's she's really fit. She's really cut. Um, but uh, I don't think she's going to win. But but if she does, I called it here for her. So. Um, before, we be ju- fault, before we jump off the air, uh, Joey, you've got a couple of uh, – IndyCar, silly season stuff you've heard in the paddock. I want you to address that really quick before we uh, before we shut off for the night. Oh, gosh. I'm going to try to get back on the rails after we just went off. Um, all right. <clears throat> so, um, had some fun talks after the race with uh, Max Chilton, Charlie Kimball, Connor Daly, etc. Um, Max Chilton wouldn't let me necessarily ask the question. Just say, hey, I know what you're going to ask. You wait to the announcement, mate. And, uh, you know, if that's the common knowledge of what we all know, it's that there's something coming that's likely involving Carlin, involving him, involving a two-car team. I later went to go talk to Charlie Kimball, and he said that he's looking to digress from four-car outfit because sometimes there's, quote, unquote, too much information. And he's looking to maybe go to somewhere with more customizations that is, as he said it, a two-car outfit. So... 
all signs point to said rumor that had been out there for a while that this is definitely going to happen with Chilton and Kimball and more than likely Carlin. Carlin uh, had Kimball in their seat way back in the F3 days a long time ago. Um, obviously, Chilton's dad, Graham, owns the team. It's run by Trevor Carlin, hence the name Carlin. Um, so a lot of that makes sense. Now that Chilton's a little bit more seasoned, he's actually probably currently the best free agent on the market. And I think one of the guys with the most upside entering next year. Uh, Connor Daly, man, a lot of good runs at the tail end of the year, a 10th at Sonoma as well, considering how difficult it is for A.J. Foyt Racing to kind of elevate that program a whole one part of the program is in Indianapolis, one part of it's in Houston. They've really started to come together and click off good runs as of late. He's still trying to figure out what he's doing next year. He's got to either re-sign with them if the option becomes available or he's looking for other places. My vote is a return to Schmidt. I would like to see him and Hinch as teammates. I know he wants to work Hinch wants to work with somebody before he signs on the dotted line, uh, somebody he could share feedback with and kind of go over the data with. And I think Connor, given how much Connor has really activated himself to this business as of late and how well he's kind of adapted and come on as of late, I think it certainly warrants a look. And lastly, Esteban Gutierrez was around the paddock of Sonoma. Talked with him. Please. Yeah, right. Um, that article that I wrote is on IndyCar.com, actually, and he says that he's looking to announce a deal soon. He was talking to a variety of people, and I know that Brandon Hartley is confirmed, or not confirmed, but is kind of speculated at the Chip Ganassi racing deal. The more I look at Esteban, I think that he looks like a CGR driver. So I would have said CGR three teams with Esteban, Hartley, and then... Uh, as well as Scott Dixon, obviously. With Ed Jones' future up in the air, even though he wants to make some things happen with with Dale Coyne, and Dale Coyne equally wants to have the same driver lineup next year, I expect them to have the same driver lineup next year. I'm wondering if maybe Esteban wasn't talking to one of those teams, because ironically, his sponsor that he came in with is still on the side of the cars and all. So, with that, that is your silly... Good stuff, good stuff, Joey. Um, with, with that, we'll say goodnight. Uh, I want to appreciate all you folks that uh, listen to us every week. I want to thank the Hubazoo Ra- Radio Network. Uh, I want to thank iHeartRadio for hosting our show. This is Drafting the Circus. My name is Frank Santoroski. Good night. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.